Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the Conference of Champions Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. All right, I didn't see Conference of Champions going there. This is the PAC Sportacast or something, whatever, because our guest is the commissioner of the Pac-12 Conference, George Klevikoff. And George, I got to say, I like to go to the Twitter feeds of our guests just to see what they're engaged in. About 100 days since you've taken the job. So if this was sort of the presidential, you know, uh, you've won the election, why, why don't you give me a quick recap? What is the first 100 days synopsis? Well, it's been chaotic. It's a very unusual summer in the history of college athletics. My first day was the first day of a lot of state name, image, and likeness laws, and the first day that our student athletes could accept payment for the use of their brands without losing their eligibility to play their sport. And that came a week after the Supreme Court decision in Alston, and two weeks after we announced a potential expansion of college football playoffs. And within a couple of weeks after I started, we had the NCAA constitute a constitutional convention to decide their future. Uh, and then we had the Texas Oklahoma news leak, which led to a lot of realignment discussion, frantic talks, and eventually uh, for us, an alliance with the Big Ten and ACC. So it's been quite quiet. Yeah. So true or false, you were found in your bedroom, sucking your thumb in the fetal position. <laughs> no, I love this stuff. <laughs> my, my, my whole career has been parachuting into situations like this. Although I got to tell you, if I had two or three of these issues to work through rather than a half dozen, I'd be a little bit better rested and I'd be getting some exercise. But other than that, I, I, I love what we're in the middle of and we'll figure it out. Well, I'm with you, George, because I decided to start a sports media, sports business uh, platform at the very beginning of a global pandemic. So, you know, I, I kind of feel you there. If I had one or two things to do, it'd be nice, easy, but I don't know, 10 or 12 things. Would you, there's still members of my staff I have not met, you know, hired everybody remotely up and running. And that just, that's the way it is these days. Me, me as well. Uh, you know, welcome to the impeccable timing club. Spon sponsored by TSO. We, we, everything needs a sponsor these days. Go ahead, Evan. 
You didn't mention the media rights negotiations and, and the future media for the conference as well. I, I'm curious, when you look at all these things, how do you even begin to to delegate these things? There's you know five or six massive sea changes that are happening in college sports. Some are related, some are not. You're relatively new to the job, I'm sure, as you said. You're, you're still getting to know staffers. I'm sure there's people you haven't met yet. What how do you prioritize? What are the priorities? What what can get backburnered? How do you go about kind of balancing all these things? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's backburnered, but but we do have almost three years left on our media rights deal, so we can get a couple of breaths in before we have to start focusing on that. Listen, I think the way that you work through these things is you evaluate the leadership team that you inherited in a new job. Um, I've I've parachuted into a lot of these. Uh, organizations in a senior, senior leadership role, and you're not always sure what you're going to inherit. And I guess the best news for me is both at the network and the conference, uh, I, I have a world-class leadership team that I've inherited. They're really, really good at what they do. They were up to speed on all of these issues um, before I took the office, and they've been helping me navigate through it. Give me a sense of how you prepared for the interview, George. Again, this is business of sports. You were the guy, and you, you said this, you know, a lot of people may not have known, maybe they didn't have me on their bingo card, but you got the job. How did you prepare for it? What were your questions? What did you want to know? What did you need to know before you took the position? Well, a couple of things. I guess the first thing is I, I read up as much as I could in the short period of time that I had to prepare for the interview uh, about you know, public perception of the conference. And then I ended up spending a lot of time talking to um you know, folks in the industry, uh, you know, without explaining why I was asking the questions, but, you know, we did a lot of uh, sports rights when I was at MGM. So I had reason to have connections to a lot of people who had opinions about the conference. And, and, and then I've developed over the period of my career, a kitchen cabinet of a very small number of people that I trust implicitly and that I could actually share with what was going on and get their input. And these are people who I've cultivated over decades whose judgment I trust. And, you know, I, I, I truly believe that I went from the best job in entertainment to the best job in sports. And, you know, the, the reason I took the job is because of the mission of what we're doing at the Pac-12, which is, you know, if I do my job well, if my colleagues and I execute what we believe to be our strategic priorities, we are protecting and creating scholarships to some of the finest universities in the world. And that's a pretty laudable goal. George, you just separated, you went from the best job in entertainment to what you think is the best job in sports. Why are you separating those two things? Is sports not entertainment? It, it is, but not all entertainment is sports. So when I was at MGM Resorts, you know, we did concerts and I was on the board of, the, of Cirque du Soleil and we did five Cirque du Soleil shows and magic and comedy and variety shows and lots of things that are not sports. This is a much more concentrated position in sports, but certainly all of sports is entertainment, but not all of entertainment is sports. Do, do you get the sense that the the conference can in a faster, in a shorter period of time, become way more powerful than maybe it would have seemed when you went through the interview process? You mentioned the constitutional convention. It seems pretty clear that the NCAA as a, as a governing body of all of, of all of college sports wants to give conferences a bigger role in enforcement, in rule setting, in regulations, et cetera. That seems as though 
leagues like the Pac-12 and the SEC and the Big Ten are potentially very quickly going to have a lot more say in what those rules and regulations look like, how they're enforced, et cetera. Do, do, you, do you get the sense that the, the, the conference you're taking over could actually be a, a much bigger power player in a much shorter period of time than maybe it would have looked like eight months ago? Well, I look at all of these issues that have come to light since June, and I would say with almost no exceptions, they're all potential growth opportunities for our conference. I look at name, image, and likeness, and I think that that's a place where we can actually uh, do a great job for our student athletes, you know, being in five of the top 20 uh, demographic markets in the country without competition from other Power Five conferences. I look at the NCAA, as you mentioned, and I think, yeah, we're going to have more autonomy. The, the bigger conferences are going to have more control over their destiny. I, I look at CFB expansion. That's nothing but good for us. We have to figure out that model, and there's some work to be done there, but, but CFB expansion is great for the Pac-12. Uh, I look at conference realignment, and listen, there, there are not a lot of places where you basically walk into a, you know, a, a, an organization with 12 bosses, and you get an opportunity in your first month or two to check in with each of your bosses and say, are you committed to this? And conference realignment allowed me to do that with all of the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors. And, you know, it it created this opportunity as well for the Alliance. And the Alliance, I think, is a big growth opportunity for us. So um, with very few exceptions, I I think, yes, we'll get stronger and bigger and better as a result of all the chaotic mess that we're in the middle of right now. And how do you know how much to trust the, that commitment from your members, the commitment from from the Big Ten and the ACC and that alliance you're talking about? I, I mean, I imagine if someone had asked Texas and Oklahoma eight months ago, are you committed to the Big 12? They probably would have would have said yes, um, both publicly and privately. I, I mean, how do you know how much, how, how long those, those commitments go for and, and how ironclad they are when you get them? Well, I, I trust people until they give me a reason not to trust them. <laughs> and I guess more, more importantly, if I look at the reasons why people would be making decisions to not follow through on the commitments they've made, either to the Pac-12 or to the Alliance, um, that, you know, I, I looked at after the fact, Texas and Oklahoma. And when you realized how unbalanced that conference was, the majority of their media rights sitting in two of the institutions, you know, that, that's an unstable environment. Um, I, we don't have that issue in the Pac-12, neither does the, the Big Ten or the ACC. I think we're in a much better, more solid position. And particularly with respect to the alliance, this is not just three commissioners sitting in a room figuring it out. This was a long process that included 41 athletic directors and 41 presidents and chancellors. We executed the alliance, at least the announcement of it, pretty quickly. But, you know, there were there were hundreds of people who kind of had a look at that before it was announced. And what I would say is um, I, I know, which I can't share yet, but some of the things that we're going to be doing as part of the alliance. And it, it's really exciting. And, you know, those those things will have contracts. And I know we got we got a lot of hassle when we announced it. Oh, there's no signed contract. Well, no, there's no signed contract. We would have waited till 41 sets of attorneys would have approved the announcement. Uh, you still wouldn't know about it. Yeah, I was just going to say, if you're waiting for uh, for it to be put to paper, you'll never get that signed deal with that many people in the kitchen. We're chatting with George Klievkoff, the Pac-12 commissioner. George, you mentioned your inner sanctum earlier, the folks you trust, the folks you felt you could go to. Any names you can share with us? Absolutely not. No, part of this is uh, anonymity. It's a kitchen cabinet. It's folks that I trust. And part of what I trust is the fact that they won't share anything I share with them. And they have uh, mutual 
trusted me to not share their names or their opinions. That's good. I get it, but we have to ask. <laughs> You're doing your um, job. I'm doing mine. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I know it's funny. I always have to teach young journalists. You ever hear people when they say, I can't believe he asked that or she asked that. I can't believe that. that that's out of bounds. One of the things I teach young journalists is you can ask anything you want and the subject has the right not to answer. It's a very simple give and take, but some people, I don't know, they, they don't seem to get it. It's this fascinating met- symbiotic relationship where the interviewer can ask anything they want, and that's in bounds, and a well-trained media executive will answer the question they wanted to be asked, not the question they were asked. Uh, that that yeah, the well-trained part. There you go. That it works, it works both ways. <laughs> but that, that's what. And then I, I I will say, oh, contrary, I, I counter you with the well-trained uh, you know questioner who comes back and asks the same question three different ways. <laughs> uh, there you go. Or, or there is the the long silent pause where you're hoping somebody's uncomfortable and they just start speaking. There's that trick too. But you mentioned the media for people who don't understand why we're asking. You said it's still three years out, but the Pac-12 controls all of their media rights. At a time when we're seeing the escalating value of content, where does the Pac-12 sit in regards to the ability to cash in at a time when content seemingly is going up, 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 and you've got digital players and you've got more players? Do you see the value of what you're sitting on escalating? Uh, or okay, yes, and give me give me the ten poles as to why you see it continuing to uh, go in the right direction, like a hockey stick. Well, listen, I think the macro media consumption trends are in our favor, right? Every quarter, there are more consumer facing bundled media services than ever. All of them are looking for exclusive content to differentiate their service. If you think about all the content, you you said content's going up to the right. I would argue most content is going up to the right, but nothing's going up like a hockey stick the way live sports rights are. It's more valuable than any other media category. It's, you know, it's unique. It is sold on an exclusive basis usually. It's watched live. People don't skip commercials. That makes the commercials more valuable. Live sports aggregates a very desirable audience that's difficult to aggregate around any other content. And I would say if you think about audiences that you would want to aggregate, I can't think of a better audience than Pac-12 alumni and fans. Now, the only thing I would slide in there, and I agree with you, but is tier one media rights are continuing escalating. I'm not sure about second, third tier properties. However, I I think we'd both agree that Pac-12 in an open market would be considered a tier one media right. Well, it, it, it depends on how you define tier one. I mean, even within our media rights and Again, we own all of our media rights. We don't have an equity joint venture partner in our network uh, like most of the other conferences. You know, we're in a unique position because we think about we actually tier our product, tier one, tier two, tier three. And you, you think about all that content and we have the unique ability to slice and dice that content uh, in the next round because we have coterminous distribution agreements for all of the content and because we own 100% of it. And I think some of it will end up on linear network television. Some of it may end up in a cable service that we own or we feed. And some of it will end up on digital platforms. And I think if you think about each of those tiers, uh, what I see in front of us is multiple bidders for each of those uh, tiers of our content. 
George, there was a time under a, a previous administration when the Pac-12 was considering selling off a piece of a, a company that kind of contained all of the media assets. Um, I know there were conversations with private equity. I, I believe those kind of shifted at some point to potential strategic partners. Can you give us an update? Is that are, are, are those things both dead right now, or are, are you expecting to kind of go to into those media negotiations with uh, w- w- with the full ownership still intact, or is there still a chance that you guys look for investors into a Pac-12 media company at some point before those negotiations happen? No, they won't happen before. I like owning our media rights. Um, you know, at some point it becomes a math problem, right? If, if someone says we'll give you X dollars to own Y percent of the perpetual rights in this subset of your content, that's simply math and we can figure that out. Um, I, I would note that, you know, historically I've, I've always thought, you know, owning all of your rights was better than not owning all of your rights, particularly in a, a category that will accelerate value over time. And I believe sports will continue to accelerate it in value. Uh, but then, you know, the smartest guys in the business are the NFL and they're, they're packaging up and selling some of their media rights, uh, to an investor. So, you know, never say never, but, but I like the position we're in today, owning all of our rights. And is that, is that a hard sell for all of your members? I mean, from, from, from what I remember, the conversations around that were essentially trying to bridge the kind of revenue gap that exists right now between you guys and, and the Big Ten and the SEC over the next few years, because you're kind of not stagnant, but, but the big jumps happen when you do negotiate those new media deals. Um, is that a hard thing to, to convince all of your members that, hey, we're going to sit relatively in this band of, of revenue right now and wait until 2024 when we can negotiate? negotiate the new ones to get that big kind of huge incremental jump that we've seen recently in other leagues? Yeah, I, I think everyone, all of our institutions are aligned behind what we've set as kind of our goals for the renegotiation of our rights. Um, we're early in the process, right? Our rights end uh, at the end of June and 24, so almost three years out. So uh, the Big Ten actually uh, goes out a year before us, uh, and we'll kind of watch what they do uh, and kind of uh, learn from that. I think, um, you know, we'll have an opportunity to adjust the strategy, but everyone is aligned behind the current strategy today. Yeah, it, it, it is like a runway. You know, you, you see who's next. I mean, we're watching it on the pro side. Everybody's waiting to see what happens with MLS. Um, you, you get a good sense of which properties are where. We saw what happened with the NFL for sure. Can you give me a, a, just sort of a 30,000-foot view of, and I know we're focused on this business of sport here, but of higher education in general, uh, the universities as businesses, you, you operate, of course, as a subset of the athletic departments within them. Some universities fund the athletic departments or at least help. Uh, some athletic departments give money and revenue back to the university. What is the health of, of higher education in the U.S.? I don't think I'm in a position to (laughs) opine on the health of higher education. But what I will tell you is, you know, I I report to a board which is made up of the presidents and chancellors of 12 of the finest universities in the world. And um, the portfolio of things that they have to worry about is shocking to me, right? I mean, these are highly intelligent, um, you know, well-accomplished folks who I think we think of as running an academic institution, but they're really running, in some cases, multiple hospitals, an IP portfolio, uh, m- multiple schools sometimes. Um, 
cer- certainly uh, athletic departments and other ancillary parts of their business. And you know, we're a tiny, tiny little piece of their business in the aggregate, but we are also, for many of their alumni, uh, the contact that they have back to the school, right? Watching the school play on television or coming to the games is how they stay connected with their alma maters. And even though we're a small part of kind of the, the grand piece of what they're running, um, we get o- oversized media attention and uh, we are very important because of the connection that uh, sports programs make back to the alumni base and to the existing student athletes. Yeah, absolutely. The sports departments are sort of the the front porch. Uh, I'll regale you with a story that uh, Bobby Bowden, the former Florida State coach, told me years ago. He was in his office one day, you know, a Monday or Tuesday, and the university president came in and made a comment, something to the effect of, "Ah, we had a few empty seats this week." And Bobby, in his dob gummit way, looked, you know, said to me, uh, "I knew my job was done." He just—it's <laughs> the first time, the first time the president had ever been in his office and ever talked about empty seats. And he said, uh-oh, I'm in big trouble. So what do the university presidents ask you? And what are you told by the athletic directors around the conference? What are the conversations between the, the presidents and the ADs? Well, listen, there's, there's great pride among everybody in being part of the Pac-12. They were all involved in the decision to you know, stay together and to not any, add any more schools at this time, even though we had lots and lots of schools raise their hand after the Texas and Oklahoma news and want to join the conference. Um, you know, I, I think there was a sense of the opportunity to hit the refresh button on the Pac-12, um, you know, and, and, to, and to start afresh. And I think um, I was very careful about socializing what I said were the priorities for the conference, at least one of which was quite controversial, uh, before I publicly announced them. And what I've heard uh, and I've been on a listening tour of our schools. I've been to 11 of the 12 uh, in my first 90 days. I'm, I'm going to be at Arizona State later this week. What I've heard is, um, you know, everyone's getting behind those priorities. Uh, but but again, they, they signed off on them before I announced them. So I wasn't surprised by that. Let's talk about uh, college football playoff expansion for a second. I, I, there was a there was a time maybe a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, where it seemed like the expansion from four to twelve was fast tracked and was was almost definitely going to happen. Um, that has cooled off at least a little bit from a, from a timing standpoint. I know you've been on record saying that you're in, in in favor of expansion. What does the in the Pac-12's view? What does the ideal college football playoff structure look like? Yeah, I think it's a mistake to say that it was on a fast track. I think um, we did the fans a disservice by making it appear like it was on a fast track by announcing publicly a proposal to go to 12 that had been worked on for two years by four of the 11 groups that have to say yes. Uh, you know, it requires unanimous approval. And four people were in a room and did incredible work to get to the proposal and what we should have done is brought that proposal into the room with all 11 people, had a conversation about it, you know, come to an agreement to expand to eight or 12 or whatever the right number is, and then publicly announce it. And I think it was a huge mistake in June to announce the proposal that hadn't been vetted by everyone who needed to vet it. So we have issues at the margins with uh, the 12. Uh, there are other conferences that have issues with the 12 as well. Uh, there are certainly conferences that would prefer eight, uh, and there are conferences that would prefer 12. 
And I think, you know, one of the things that I think is really important is to not litigate this in public because we'd be replicating the mistake I think we made in June. And I think what we've all committed to, and we were together uh, two weeks ago in Dallas and last week in Chicago, the CFP group, and we're getting together twice more in the next couple of months. I, I think what we've dedicated ourselves to doing is meeting, getting a resolution, and then collectively announcing our resolution. And that's a much better way to go about this. One of the things that I find so interesting about this conversation has been the role of ESPN kind of within it. Uh, there are certainly a lot of people out there who, who feel a little bit uncomfortable with the idea that a 12-team a playoff could be controlled entirely from a television standpoint by by ESPN. I'm, I'm curious what, what if you can say what your thoughts are. Are, are you are you okay with a with a 12-team playoff that that is entirely televised on on ESPN? How do you feel about maybe opening up uh, that contract so there are potential Potentially multiple partners on it. Where do you stand there? Well, so here, here's my thought. I'm not going to comment on 12 versus any other proposal. And ESPN is a great partner for college football and a great partner for the Pac-12. I would say that broadly speaking, I always think it's in the best interest of college athletics if you have multiple um, distributors invested in your most prolific revenue-generating sport. And I think the best way to get multiple distribution partners invested in the sport and in the regular season for the sport is to have multiple partners invested in the postseason. And I think, you know, I just look to how every other consolidated postseason league sells their rights, NBA, NCAA uh, for the March Madness, uh, you know, uh, NFL, of course, um, you, you just go down the list. And they have at least two partners distributing their content. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's something to be said for that. And that is a, a financial thing. You think it is it is worth more if it's divided among, among multiple bidders? Or you think that is more just from a kind of diversity of presentation standpoint? Well, I, it actually may be worth less because I think someone might be able to, to pay a premium for exclusivity to everything. But for the broader health of college athletics and for college football, I think it's very valuable if we have multiple partners, distribution partners, who are invested in the regular season as well, right? If, if, if for the long term, a single partner owns the postseason rights, um, there is less incentive for a, you know, a distribution partner that does not own any of those rights to continue to invest in the regular season. In, in the meantime, George, obviously the, the, there's a priority at the Pac-12 as there is at every league to to get teams into the playoff. Um, we are, I believe we're five, four or five games into the season right now and, and, and every Pac-12 team has a, at least one loss and, and most teams have a conference loss. I'm curious how you think about parity in football relative to kind of business success of, of the conference. A, a lot of people who run leagues, who run conferences, like to talk about parity. It seems like the the unfortunate truth is that parity is not always what you want. If you have a, a team that is head and shoulders above everyone else in your conference and is undefeated, um, that is a team that gets into the playoff and, and ultimate parity probably does not result in that way. How do you think about kind of the ideal competitive balance in the Pac-12 relative to the way that money gets made in college football? Parity is a model that works well in leagues that are zero-sum leagues, right? If, if, if you're 
the commissioner of the NFL, every NFL win is an, is a, is a, is also a loss. If if you are the commissioner of a college conference, that is not the case. And specifically with the way the CFP is currently set up, you know, the rich get richer and there is um, an incentive to have one good team in a conference. I think it's part of what's broken about the current CFP model. That and only 3% of the athletes get to compete in the postseason as opposed to 18 to 25% in any other college sport. So that model's broken, but what I've said publicly, and it was one of my priorities and quite controversial when I said it, was um, every decision that the conference gets to make with respect to optimizing a Pac-12 school, getting a CFP invitation or a men's basketball NCAA tournament bid and high, you know better seating, we are going to make at the conference level. And I only made that commitment after all 12 of the athletic departments, the departments signed off on that. And um, that that's unique uh, that, that we've taken that position. It is contrary to how we've operated in the past as a conference. And despite that, you know, I, I can't help the fact that we have lots of good teams and they beat each other, beat up on each other and give each other losses. Um, so we're, we're not talking about stacking the deck so that someone gets through with no losses. We're talking about um, if a team late in the season has put itself in a position through its own work to potentially get a, an invitation to the CFP. And if I have control over the start time to a game, I may give a higher profile start time to a team that has that CFP opportunity. And we're also looking at every other decision the conference makes. I'll give you one great example. Um, you know, we operate in divisions today. And, you know, you can imagine a two or three loss uh, winner of the South Division beating in a different year a undefeated North team winner in our uh, championship. And no one gets an invitation to the CFP. Uh, and, you know, there are ways to mitigate that through not having divisions or thinking differently about our championship game. And that, that's all uh, part of a football working group that we have up and running that is going to make recommendations related to what the conference should do to help our teams that that'll happen over the next six months. We can have those conversations with baseball as well, with the Dodgers winning a hundred and some odd games, going to play in a wild card game. You guys have that same problem. George, we'll get you out of here on this. Reggie Bush, should his Heisman Trophy be reinstated? That is not for me to opine on. Uh, you know, that is between... Uh-oh, here, come, here, comes the, here comes the fan mail from USC. Well, it's, 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 it's not the conference's business. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the parties that are involved in that decision need to come to a conclusion on that in their timeline. And the conference does not have a position on that and should not have a position on that. All right. George Klievkoff, the PAC 12 commissioner. We thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Great talking to both of you. I don't know. Novi Williams. I thought the commissioner of the PAC 12 would have backed, you know, read. Yes, he deserves it. Give it back to him. We got NIL. Now everybody's making lots of money. <laughs> Give him the Heisman trophy.
I think there's <laughs> so much on his plate right now, as you just heard uh, him describe. I imagine Reggie Bush's Heisman Trophy uh, is very, very low down on the uh, on the list of priorities uh, for, for for the commissioner of the Pac-12. Of all the plates that he's spinning, none of them say Reggie Bush Heisman. <laughs> it's the smallest plate. <laughs> I got it. All right. He is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Our social media editor is Core Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast which is, just for now, the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Podcast Network.